I don't have children, Jim, so you get all the flexibility in the world. How'd it go? I was good. Yeah, we. So we're we're at a. Um, I guess I guess you would call it a private school. It's really more of a co-op, but uh, um, this they, they do every every year. They do a um, uh, an outdoor um, kind of like barbecue and greet and meet and greet, and they do a lantern work lantern walk out in the woods on the on the property. And uh, it was it's, it was a nice way to meet everybody because uh, like in the mornings because we're dropping off now right mm-hmm. we uh, we you know, basically we just drive up drop off the kid we can, and then in the afternoon we pick them up and there's really no time to socialize and and really get to meet the parents face to face you know the other parents I mean we're on Slack and we're on like social media and stuff so we kind of right. chat that way but it's a different experience to actually talk to somebody you know face to face and uh, you know we were all masked and socially distanced and stuff which was good but it, it was just it was just nice to get out and uh it's in the low 40s here in virginia so it's been nice yeah. and uh finally because I, I i was so tired of the heat and the and the humidity but it's finally the weather's gotten nice and we had a fire and uh you know wow. we uh we cooked up some brat, brats and uh had uh hot cider and all that stuff so it, it was a good evening but uh just you know it just took a while to get everything cleaned up and then get home and get the kid to bed so yeah, I know. I know. No, no problem. I know at my company too. We're starting to go out, and we have we have properties spread all over California, and so we have a goal to meet every single one of our employees at the sites by the end of December. So it's been weird and nice seeing humans again in yeah. person. It's been it's been kind of strange, and maybe people will get back to tabletop RPG too. I hear people are drifting back out of the virtual world back into tabletop. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice. I. I, uh, I've got uh, my 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 two dear friends uh, live about uh, 20 minutes from me, and we're all just trying to be safe. And I haven't I haven't really seen them face to face in two years now. And uh, you know we chat all the time online and stuff, but it's just it's not the same. And I want to get back to playing games and card games and board games and RPGs and stuff with them. And it's just we're, we're just waiting for everybody to get vaccinated, you know. Well, that's what we're all about. I mean, we are now in our third episode of Continuing Conversations. Um, For those of you who are just patching in for the first time, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about all things Star Trek Adventures. Now, this includes announcing latest releases, highlighting professionals and fans associated with the game, explaining game rule and mechanics, exploring how to be a better GM or player, discussing the wider Star Trek Burst in relation to STA and answering your questions about what I feel is the best RPG game ever. Now, I'm Michael Dismuke, freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures, contributor to Continuing Mission, the number one fan site for the Star Trek Adventures game and your average geek. And today we are with, we have with us the amazing parent that we just heard about, Jim Johnson, writer, <laughs> gamer, Star Trek Adventures project manager, popcorn lover, and cat minion. Um, and we're moving into chapter three. Your week was great then, it sounds like, Jim. I'm sorry, I didn't catch that last bit. I, I said, uh, I said, and it sounds like your week was great, so we're ready to go into actually chapter two today of the Game Masters module, right? Yeah, for sure, man. I'm ready to rock into it. 
Okay, so for all of those um, who, again, are tuning in, we're going chapter by chapter through the new Game Master's Guide. Later on, we'll get to the Player's Guide. As Jim mentioned in our last podcast, uh, chapters one, two, and three of both the Game Master's and Player's Guide cover much of the same material, a little bit tweaked for Game Master or Player. But today we're talking about chapter two, which both Game Masters and Players will enjoy. And it's about the Star Trek universe in play, society technology and service protocols. So what I do is I get to pick Jim's brain about each one of these chapters and how game masters can best use them. So let's jump right in it. Um, I really love this one. Talk to us about the society chapter 2.1. Yeah. So I think um, one of the things that I really wanted to do with this chapter was to give everybody, uh, you know, well, not to give everybody, but to to present a primer on the setting right so just to like you know you're coming into the setting maybe you're new to star trek you don't know much about the setting you don't know much about the game uh you've seen a couple of the episodes maybe and you're like okay what's what makes this setting different than other games game settings right like what what kind of a character can i play what what would my character be expected to know in star trek right and and so this uh, chapter is really kind of set up to kind of like explain just the basics right like it's a science fiction setting but you know um, there's all these elements that are that are key to it, like you, know, you get your religion, your spirituality, you got uh, different cultures all kind of working together in the let's Federation talk. or independent. Yeah, I mean, let's yeah. talk about that. On page 22, there's an inset box about religion and spirituality. And I know it's yeah. hard for us right now in the 21st century to think about, hey, religion in in 400 years because many religions believe we're not making it out of the next 50 right so so how does religion and spirituality um come into play when you're meeting different civilizations with different belief systems yeah. um, i can't believe you actually got this into one box how did you do that <laughs> well uh, i'll admit that uh, you know a good chunk of this was written by uh, nathan dowdell uh, who who wrote a good chunk of the core book, but also was responsible for doing all the mechanical bits, and uh, and so I took his all of his stuff and I, I did a, a few tweaks to it, uh, but for the most part, Nathan and I are like eye to eye on a lot of this stuff, and like so a lot of what he wrote here I completely agreed with, and uh, the basic gist is that uh, you know uh, Gene Roddenberry of course um, was not particularly religious and believed that there wouldn't be any religion in the Star Trek, you know, in, in the 24th, 22nd, 23rd century or whatever. And, uh, and, and just didn't really play a big role in, in the early Star Treks. And then I'd say when, uh, when DS9 came out, right, DS9, the Bajorans had a very, very clear spiritual belief system and, uh, they've been able to touch on, or, you know, the producers of Star Trek have been able to touch on other faith systems that are present in, in other cultures which, you know, totally makes sense to me, right? So, like, you know, theoretically, you know, if Gene Roddenberry thinks, well, humanity wouldn't have a, a faith system, then, you know, there's so many other um, species out there in the Federation. You can bet at least one of them is going to have uh, <laughs> some belief system. But uh, in my opinion, you know, like, if you think about humanity for seven, eight, nine thousand years, we have had organized religions. We've had, you know, written religions, and and there is no way, like in my opinion, uh, unless there's a a cataclysmic world war, you know, knock on wood that there isn't. I just don't see religion going away because, like, if you think about, I mean, Christianity obviously is the is a key one, right? And that's been around for two thousand years. There's no way in three hundred years it's going to go away. Same thing with uh, with Islam, with Judaism, like I mean, just any faith system. Like, like you think about the ancient Egyptians, right? The ancient Egyptians were around for 
4,000 years and their belief system changed, you know, over those 4,000 years, but it still largely stayed relatively consistent for a long time. And yeah. it just, yeah, yeah, I just, I just can't Part see it happening. Humanity is spirituality always has been. And so yeah. it's going to be there. Yeah. And so, and so that's something to think about. I love how it's very high level, 10,000 foot in yeah. that inset box, but for again, a new game master coming into the Star Trek universe and for world building, mm-hmm. these are some key elements just to think about. Um, we give you the seeds of what kind of is, but again, you could take it where you want to as a game master. You did it a couple other times. um, And I I have to say one last thing about the religious and spirituality thing. If people have not picked up Coda, which is the latest trilogy, um, (laughs) which is wrapping up 20 years of Star Trek, book number two really focuses on the Bajorans and their spirituality. And it's just, I'm, I honestly never really liked the Bajorans until Coda book number two. Um, oh, interesting. So, okay. Yeah. So that's a little spoiler. I won't go into it. But if you really want a primer on Bajorans and their spirituality all in one place, not watching seven seasons of DS9 that you want to, um, I thought that, they, that the writers did a really good job with painting a picture of what it's like. Um, nice. Particular religion. Uh, you also covered things like the economy. Give us a briefer on how, many, how much money do I need, you know, in order to get around the federation Uh, (laughs) well it was it was pretty brief like i know we talked about the economy a little bit in the um uh, i think it was in the beta quadrant book there's a there's a there's a couple not not even a chapter it's like a page worth of mentioning the economy but the the reason it's important to talk about the economy just at least as a as a ten thousand foot view is to say that you know this is the 22nd 23rd 24th century money is not important anymore. And I know that's really super hard for us to comprehend in the 21st century in our, you know, capitalist or post-capitalist society where like, of course, money is important. It's, it's, it's what drives the world really, you know, for good or for good or ill. But now you're in a, you're in a, in a, in a setting where like all your basic necessities are covered. Like you, you, like you, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about going hungry. You got all the food you can want. You got everything you can drink. Uh, any kind of like tchotchke or toy or thing that you could possibly want, you can just replicate. Exactly. Like you want the Hope Diamond, go replicate it. You got the Hope Diamond, right? You, if you want some fancy car, then go replicate the parts for it and build it. You're done. Uh, the, so like, like the society has changed because like there's no want anymore. And so for characters in the setting, money's not the driving factor for them like they you go you go do a job because you want to do it not because you're getting paid to do it or because you need the money it's just like what what do you want to do that will better yourself and maybe even better society as a whole right and so economy is just not a thing anymore and uh i i mean i like that as a game master right because then i don't have to worry about (laughs) you know my players going off on a shopping trip or i have to figure out how much loot am i going to give them this session yeah for grabbing from another franchise there's no spider-man poor spider-man rich tony stark you know (laughs) yeah that that is one reason i think people want to join starfleet is because yeah you can stay on earth Fine, live life, but you can also see the stars and meet other civilizations. That this chapter closes, this section closes on one of the most confusing pieces in Star Trek, which is star dates. And it gives a little advice um, to players because you know every show seems to open up with a star date. What's yeah. your advice to them, Jim? Which is kind of summing up this section. 
Yeah, there's a, I threw in a sidebar and basically, you know, Stardates, they've never really been consistent in Star Trek. And so it's like, well, you know, I acknowledge that in the, in the writing and just say, you know what, it's not consistent. So just kind of like, here's some parameters. If you're running an original series uh, campaign, you know, kind of set your Stardates between 1000 and 9999 and call it good. Um, or you can just use the Gregorian calendar, you know, just make it April 15th, 2020, 20, 27, 27, whatever, I mean, whatever the date is, right? Uh, Enterprise did it. Discovery does it a little bit, um, you know. And then if you know, with starting with uh, starting with Next Generation, like Next Gen DS9 Voyager, and then the Next Gen movies, they actually followed a pattern, right? They actually established a set pattern. And it's nice to just drop your start dates into that pattern, especially because you can go look at a at a timeline or a chronology or something and see where your episodes slot into the into the you know the meta canon and uh, like oh you know if uh, you know some star trek next gen episode happened on star date you know 44123 and your episode is 44126 then maybe you can reference those next gen episodes if you felt like it right like i know some gamer gamer groups like to like to fit into the canon to some extent so well, uh, we, pro we provide some guidance yeah. yeah, and there's a Star Trek Adventures tips and tricks. Is if you want to, there's plenty of ways you can Google Star Trek Star Date Calculator, and there's yeah. a bunch of free ones out there. So that if you want to correspond it with Gregorian calendar dates, then you can also kind of kind of compute them. They're not all perfect yeah. in agreement, so don't trip about that. Just pick one and go with it. No one will come to your house and beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very so going, going back to um, what you were talking about. Um, when we were talking about the money issue is, is technology. You talked about replicators and I love the chapter 2.2 um, on gadgets and gear and all the technology we see. Um, I, I have to say it kind of compared to episode three of Prodigy that, that is one of the recent releases. And I loved how, without too many spoilers, um, Hologram Janeway in 22 minutes, basically gave a newbie a tour of what the Star Trek universe is about, Federation. But she also did a tour of the ship and talked about most of the major technology. And I felt like this chapter modeled that. So what was the purpose of the chapter, Jim? What were some of the things you'd want to highlight to new game masters? Yeah, and I think I think you hit on it. Exactly, the, exactly what you said is that, you know, the, the first chapter or, or the, you know, the first section of this chapter we talked about culture, society, religion, you know, just trying to set set a, a baseline for game masters and players, or at least I guess in this case, the game masters, since this is the game masters guide we're talking about. We do the same thing in the player's guide, just from a different a different lens, right? I mean, the the chapter headings are the same, but the content is very different because we're, we're approaching it from two different perspectives. And especially this chapter, um, uh, we made sure to not not just explain what the technology is, like what is a cloaking device, what's a communicator, what's a phaser, what's a tr what's a transporter, and and not just explain like uh, on a high level how they work. Like we didn't go into like a technical manual level of detail because that's not the point of this book. You can go buy a technical manual, and I encourage you to because the Star Trek Next Gen technical manual is is still in print after thirty years. This thing is super popular. I'm on my third copy because I've worn so many of them out. <laughs> yep, there it is. And uh, like, I love the book. It's so packed full of great detail. And the last thing I wanted to do was try to rewrite that because there's no reason to. It's still available um, on, I think it's even available in PDF format now. I think you can get it digitally off of uh, off of uh, various websites, uh, legal websites, not, not, not pirating it. 
Um, but grab a copy of that, and then that'll tell you everything you need to know about Star Trek te- technology. But for the newbies, especially, we wanted to give like a, a basic understanding of what these the key pieces of technology were. But also for the Game Master Guide, we wanted to provide the Game Master with a load of advice on like, here's what you can do with this piece of technology to either break it or to, to, to change it in such a way that your, your players are challenged. Right. So like, here's some things you could do with a cloaking device. Here's some things you can do with a communicator. Here's how the, right. the, here's how the universal translator works in conjunction with the communicator and how, if you bust it, your players have to come up with a new solution for foreign languages and stuff. Right. Well, I want to um, let people's appetites yeah. though, just for those who haven't bought the book and are thinking about it, it covers, you're going to learn about the basis about cloaking device communications, the universal translator, hologram technology, propulsion, warp drive, sensors, shuttlecraft, tractor beams, shields, a little uh, a primer on time travel, yeah. and weapons, including starship weapons, transporter systems, replicators. So so, so those are the main terms you're always going to, main terms and technology you're always going to see in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people are nervous, like, oh, there's so much, but it's put so in such simple terms, it's digestible. And what I really liked was the quote someone put in here. I don't know who who wrote this chapter. I think it was Aaron. Did Aaron Poyer write this chapter? He wrote a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, he wrote a lot of it. I, I'm not sure if he picked the quote or not, but I thought it was perfect. And this is important for new players of the game. Lieutenant Commander Spock says, instruments register only those things they've, des- they've des- ah, excuse me, let me start again. Instruments register only those things they're designed to register. Space still contains infinite unknowns. And what I thought was perfect about that quote is though these are the basic technologies you're going to see in Star Trek on a repetitive basis, your imagination is actually the limit. So you can come up with bigger, better, different, awkward, odd. Um, So again, I just thought this was a good primer primer for uh, newbies to the game. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly the point because we we want to give everybody the common the common you know framework for all the most common things that they're going to encounter in any Star Trek episode, whether they're Federation or Klingon or, or Romulan or I mean whatever species you're playing, they they all use common common technology. Exactly. I thought one of the funny inset boxes was on page forty two. Why doesn't an enemy just fire a torpedo into someone's sun? <laughs> kind of yeah. like t- take out the enemy by taking out their home world. So I thought that was yeah. a, a really uh, fun inset box. And then there's another inset box that that considers the era of Star Trek you're playing. So we already um, we're going to talk a little bit more about eras in play in a future episode, mm-hmm. but it also shows you how to tweak the technology based off that. A lot of information in mm-hmm. what I think is a pretty short chapter. It's pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know that that was efficiency, right? Like I, uh, we had we had certain. Well, I had when I set up the outline, right? Uh, we we set up certain parameters for each chapter, and um, you know everybody came through, and uh, you know a little judicious editing here and there. Got it. Got it in. <laughs> so, you know, in, in a few pages, we packed as much information as we could in there. Yeah. Now, we've emphasized a lot. The last section of Chapter two um, is good because we've emphasized a lot about how Star Trek Adventures is a different type of RPG game. It's not yeah. rock, sock them, shoot them up. Um, and you're actually kind of joining a Navy in space, but not a Navy that's focused on war, but one that's focused on exploration. And so chapter 2.3 is about service protocols. What what was your thinking when you outlined uh, this chapter getting done? 
Yeah, so this was this was kind of an expansion of thought from what we did from what I did in the command source book. So I ended up writing a lot of the command source book, at least the first couple chapters. And what I really wanted to get at with this chapter was with the with the underlying assumption that the vast majority of people coming to play Star Trek Adventures are probably going to be playing Starfleet officers or people working on a Starfleet ship. I mean, that's the, the overwhelming majority. Even if you're in, in the Klingon Empire or if you're playing a Romulan, or if you're playing a different um, species in their own version of, of the Starfleet, right? There's still going to be, it's going to be a form of a military probably. Um, and you will probably have protocols that you need to follow while you're on the ship or in the service or whatever. E- even independents might have something similar to this. Like if you have an independent trader captain like uh, uh, Cassidy Yates, right? She might run her ship a little bit more formally than than not, right? And so there's just there's standard procedures that you follow that you know either you're on Starfleet or not. Um, that why this makes player, sense? I just I just want to interject here that why yeah. this makes sense is any species that's going to get into space has to have an organized way to do it. And yeah. so whether it's the Cardassian Union, the Klingon Empire, or the Federation, these are worlds that have through collaboration. Uh, got into space and of course with collaboration comes systems of management and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about protocols right right so it, it's, it's just it, and it's stuff you see on the show all the time right like what does yellow alert mean what does red alert mean what would a uh what would an, an away team or a landing party reasonably expect to do when they're off on a away team or a landing party and so you know in the game master guide we talk about you know, here's things you can do with a landing party, or here's things you can do with an away team. Here's the expectations that players should have going into it. Like maybe someone who's never even watched Star Trek says, oh, I'm going on an away team. What does that mean? Do I have a phaser? Do I have a tricorder? Am I bringing a medical kit? Like, I don't know. Like, what, what's the basic underlying process here? And so we just kind of like walk through that a little bit um, just okay. to kind of like just help newbies get on, get a baseline understanding of, of what they what their characters can be doing um, uh, as, as part of their uh, job in Starfleet or the Klingon Empire, you know, whatever. Yeah, and you gave a, a, a primer on a on the Prime Directive 2 on page 52. Yeah. I think that's important because the, the Federation, at least, is the one organization in our part of the galaxy that follows the Prime Directive. So if you mm-hmm. are on a Starfleet vessel, it's kind of important to know what it is, whether you yeah. choose to follow it or not. So yeah. th- that's in there. Uh, one of the Biggest things I love, though, was on page 54. It's something I didn't notice I've done because I grew up watching Star Trek. But you have a Starfleet's naval tradition. Mm. Uh, uh, three pages of that. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So, um, of course, I'm a huge fan of, of nautical fiction uh, and, uh, and naval history and all that stuff. And, uh, of course, Roddenberry was, too. And Roddenberry read um, the Horatio Hornblower novels by C.S. Forrester. And so it, it, it harkens back to that classic uh, Royal Navy, 1800s, age of sail kind of thing, where where there's a very clear uh, naval maritime tradition built into Starfleet uh, where you've got you know all the nautical terms and terminology where it's almost it almost feels like you know submarines in space basically uh but all the all the nautical terms are there present on the series and they just carry that forward series after series and i thought well you know if if you're a somebody new to star not only new to star trek but also maybe you've never served in the military maybe you have no idea of what naval heritage or naval terminology is this is a primer this is a real quick and dirty three-page primer on some of the key terms that you're going to hear all the time on star trek episodes that you know, if you don't understand the 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 shorthand, 
you might be like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> right? right. I mean, and it's even basic stuff like, you know, heave to harder port, uh, you know, move, move your bulkhead, you know, captain on the bridge, clear the bridge, you know, just these basic terms that for those of us who've been watching Star Trek forever are, are like second nature. We don't even think about it. Right. Cause we know that we know the language and the lingo. Well, it's um, so cool that even, yeah. even it teaches us how to pronounce it like bow, you know, like, you know, B O W. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. when, when it talks about the front of the ship, bow, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't figure that out. until I think I was like 18 years old or something. I was calling it yeah. bow every time I read. So, so I just thought it was so cool how it, it, it dignifies the reader and gets you caught up with that language and that culture um, really yeah. quickly. Yeah, and, and trust me, this uh, this is a three page you know sidebar primer that could have been a whole book unto itself. In fact, I've got a I've got a book on the shelf. Uh, I, I'm a, I'm an avid reader of the Patrick O'Brien, um, Aubrey uh, Metrin novels, and, and I mean that's like a 17 book series. But somebody I don't even remember who um, wrote a whole book on the the nomenclature and the lexicon and the glossary of terms for these because of course the books are all about the naval. Uh, you know, age of sale and stuff. And so like, you could you could just go for days and days and days with all these m military historical nautical terms. Right. And just really add it into your Starfleet game. But like that's for the, like the really obsessive people. So if you're not that obsessive, you know, go with the basics and just, you know, go from there. <laughs> gorgeous. Gorgeous. One yeah. of the um, things I, I like to do on continuing missions is not only highlight the writers, but also highlight the artists. Yeah. There's something really cool. There's a design that's on page 56. And um, people might be wondering what it is. I'd like to explain it to them in case they're newbies to Star Trek. Um, do you want to talk about that cool Vulcan design there? Uh, <laughs> well, you, 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 you got me in a box here because I can tell you it's, it's, it's definitely Vulcan, right? But that is, uh, those are, some, uh, those are some, some, some design aesthetics that we had access to by virtue of being a licensor or licensee with the uh, you know Viacom CBS, we have access to to their um, to their asset library, and in their asset library is are all kinds of uh, uh, artwork and icons and border designs and patches and just like all, all, all the different stuff you see on TV show on the TV show or in one of the official publications or something. Uh, sometimes that artwork finds its way into their asset library, and we're able to use literally anything we want out of it. Well, and I'll so, remind the people who are listening, it's on page 56, and the yeah. people who are watching will put a picture up of it. But I will say that I believe, I'll tell you what I think it is, and then people, okay. will, of course, correct me if I'm wrong, because there's experts out there. I think it's actually the language saying infinite diversity, infinite combinations, the one on mm -hmm. the left. I think that's what that is. Okay. I don't know what the one on the right is, so I was really, really curious about those, but I thought they were cool touches to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I honestly don't know. I, I don't. I don't read. I can't read Vulcan. <laughs> I don't know that many people who can. Uh, so uh, if anybody, you know, if you if you see the if you see it or you buy the book and you look at it and you you're wondering or if you know, you know, by all means, let me know and I'll I'll figure out a way to um thank you for it but uh yeah it's just a design aesthetic but it, it, you know whatever <laughs> well no that's a perfect segue because if they're going to reach out to you yeah. um how are they going to contact you jim as we wrap up this chapter of the of uh about society technology and service protocols gm guide chapter two so how can they reach out to you if they want to tell us what these symbols mean yeah, sure thing. Best best way to reach out to me is by email, jim at medifius.com, or you can go on Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. It's uh, at scribenetti. Um, I'm on all the social channels for the game. So Star Trek Adventures, if you're on Facebook, Discord, 
the subreddit, the official forums. I'm not hard to find. I'm the one talking incessantly about this game. Uh, so reach out, chat with me anytime you want. Anytime you got questions, let me know. And uh, look forward to chatting with you. Well, and again, we want to entertain those questions. Uh, Jim will always uh, mention if there's a question that he gets um, online, he'll bring it up yep. here. But um, keep sending those to us. Did we have any questions this week, Jim? Uh, not that I can recall. I think I ended up I, I ended up answering all the questions on uh, on Facebook or uh, or Discord. I think so. No, no new questions in my email though. There, there's one I'll bring up because I keep up with a lot of the chats and, it, okay. and, and I woke up this morning rubbing my eyes because there had been this big discussion about it. And I want to um, honor fans of Star Trek RPGs, old and new, from mm -hmm. all time. Um, I know how it's been to convert gaming systems. For instance, I played Marvel for 30 years and had four different gaming systems. And it's a hard thing to switch. But I want to give honor to all the writers and creators from all eras because they were doing, um, frankly, what they were paid to do. Work on a game system. We're not allowed to use old materials. So you got to create new rules. Um, and so uh, when I know on our on our forums, we always keep the peace. Um, but we don't want to be slamming anybody of the systems because a lot of the reasons we're constrained is just what I said, licensing issues. Um, we want to encourage people to try this game. And I also encourage people to try other, you know, other systems and, and make it all work to get the best game that works for you. Do you have anything to say about that? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I, I've tried to, I mean, I've got all the, I've got all the old games on my shelves and I use them all the time for reference material. Or, or even just inspiration, you know, like when I was working on the, uh, on the command source book, uh, agent, I mean, God, it feels like forever ago now. Um, I had the uh, last unicorn games stuff and I had the decipher stuff and I had some fastest stuff open and I was cross-referencing. I mean, like I, I had my desk literally covered with Star Trek RPG books because I wanted to make sure I was not just kind of advancing what we've done, what has been, what has come before, but that I was, that I was trying to honor what had come before too. Right. So I was trying to drop in little references to the fastest stuff and to the last unicorn stuff and to the decipher stuff, because like gamers like you and me who have been through this for a long time and have been gaming for 20, 30 years, like we know this stuff back and words and forwards. And it's always nice to, uh, I mean, it, I, I feel it's always important to, uh, to respect and honor the folks who've come before you and have kind of like blazed the trail and then continued the path forward. And now we're adding to it. Right. And then, you know, 30 years, somebody else will be doing a Star Trek RPG and, uh, you know, probably about the cool thing about Star yeah. Trek adventures RPG from Adipius is it's current, it's new, it's expanding yeah. the universe. It's getting new fans into RPG. Yeah. Um, so let's keep those doors wide open to get as many people. I'm always thinking, yeah. I'm always thinking to myself, I want people to play because I want new material, but the only way new material is going to come out is if people purchase the current material, right. you know, and right. keep it going. So, so uh, that, that's just a comment I wanted to make because I know I appreciate you know, everyone who contributes and shares ideas on converting systems and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, continuing missions is always there. And of course, Modiphius is out there bringing in the best talent, um, mm -hmm. not, the, not the best talent, but some of the best talent, um, you know, both artists and writers. So we were keep us humble, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Let's not get in trouble. Let's you know, I, I do want to add one thing to that. Uh, and I think, I think this is one of the angles you were taking at is that, uh, you know, especially for the, for the gamers who've, who've been playing old systems for a long time, and like, that's what you know, and that's what you want to convert to. That's great. Fine. You know, absolutely convert to what you're familiar with, but also don't be afraid to try something new. 
right? Because uh, like you know, some of those systems are are thirty plus years old, and and like if you think about game theory and game design that has you know progressed over thirty years, we're in a very different world now than we were thirty years ago. Not yeah. I mean not just the real world, but in game design and like uh, especially for Star Trek, like I think to to really get that Star Trek feel to the table, I think it almost demands kind of a more dramatic narrativistic kind of you know fast and loose system where like if you have a system that's really focused on like shield points and uh and and weapon damage and stuff it, it may not bring the same feel i mean of course if you if you use that kind of system and you're able to get the star trek feel that you like you know more power to you well some um, players from different generations too just aren't as patient they're not yeah. going to come to your house and sit at a table this is i'm talking from personal experience with my nieces and nephews who i wrote a lot of the chapters of this book about, I knew that their attention span is different. It's not better. It's not worse. Mm -hmm. It's different because of how right. social media and TV shows have changed the writing of how they assimilate information. Yep. And so um, I've noticed that these books are, are trending. Um, just so you know, three of my nieces and nephews have read these books or actually someone just wow. texted me today about the art. Um, and, and they're loving it. They're like, I want to play. So I'm up to four nieces and nephews right now who read the book and are like, when are we getting down to play? So, so I now have my new crew, which is cool. Um, uh, but just for people who've been around for a long time, just understand learning does change. And these books are written for multiple learners. Um, yep. And we're doing these podcasts and video casts because of that. Also, some people mm -hmm. don't have the time or means to read a book. So we're doing blended learning and offering a new way for them to get into RPG because we want to be ready for every combination and every diversified person wanting to play the game, right? It, it, in action, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. So now uh, let's close it up. Uh, just why don't we remind people where if they want to pick up the book, the best way to do so. Um, and then if you want to give shout outs or thank yous to any of the other uh, companies out there that you're collaborating with. Yeah, go to modifius.net, and that's M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S.net. Or if you're in the United States or North America, go to modifius.us. Uh, they just recently opened up a U.S. Uh, web store, so it'll save you on shipping uh, so you don't have to pay the shipping costs from the U.K. Uh, so check out those two stores. Uh, of course, you can uh, order stuff from your friendly local game store. Um, and uh, just make sure that if you do, to reach out to Modifius support so that you can get the free PDFs for any physical stuff that you buy because uh, Modifius embraces the uh, brick and mortar program. So any physical stuff you buy literally anywhere in the world, if you get it as a gift, if you buy it from somewhere else, uh, still contact Modifius, they'll get you the PDF for free. Uh, that's the best way to do it. Um, I want to thank... Oh, good. Yeah. I was just going to say, I want to thank all the all the licensees that we that we work with, uh, the folks at Hero Collector, Eagle Moss, uh, IDW Comics, um, the folks that do Star Trek Timelines. It's not Disruptor Beam; it's Tilting Point, I think now. And uh, Star Trek Online. You'll see more of us collaborating with them in the future as we've done in the past. And I just love working with other licensees because they know what we do, and they know what we do, and we know what they do. And uh, we get to share resources and insights and all that good stuff. So thanks to them. And uh, finally, I, it would not be a complete webcast or podcast or whatever without thanking the fans. I, the Star Trek Adventures fans are some of the most supportive, passionate people I've ever had the joy of interacting with. And uh, um, we wouldn't be doing these products without you. So thank you, every Star Trek Adventures fan out there for playing the game, supporting the game, answering questions online, being supportive of the newbies. Uh, thank you. Thank you all very, very much. Appreciate you every day. Fantastic. And I love that you shout out the brick and mortar. So you know what? If people, if you want us to shout out your 
favorite brick and mortar, go ahead and email Jim. We'll try to get those. Contact me on Facebook if you want to shout out your favorite brick and mortar. I'm going to shout out Game Castle in Fremont, California. Game Castle. I'm shouting them out because they're uh, my favorite place to play. All right. And then we'll get another one. Just send it to us if you want uh, us to give you a shout out. All right. Thanks, Jim. We'll see you next episode. All right, man.